Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast, brought to you by Manufacture CT and sponsored by Cone Resnick. Advisory, assurance, tax, and online at coneresnick.com. On every episode, we take the opportunity to learn more about a local manufacturing business. Welcome to episode nine of Meet the Manufacturers. On this episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Bill Gunter, President and CEO, and his daughter, Kristen Gunter, the RFID Product Manager at George Schmidt. George Schmidt is a fifth-generation family-run business with a 140-year-old history in speciality printing with plants in both Florida and Connecticut. Bill, Kristen, welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bill, let's start with you. Can you tell me a little bit about the company and its history and how you got to this point? Well, the company uh, was founded by my father's father's father-in-law back in 1874. And we're currently a fifth generation privately held company. The company has had a rich history. We won an award in the 1920 Chicago World's Fair. We've had a number of awards through the years, and we've always been a a market leader in the industries that we serve. And can you tell me a little bit about what you print? Tell me about the the business and and what you actually manufacture. Well, uh, in general terms, we manufacture pressure-sensitive labels, shrink sleeves, pouches of various kinds, airline luggage tags, and um, we also do security printing, which includes over laminates for driver's licenses and various other high security um, applications. We work very closely with pharmaceutical companies in their high security printing needs for brand authentication and track and trace as well. That's fascinating. So if I ever wanted to get into forgery, you're the man I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. And and Bill, tell me, were you always going to work in the family business, so to speak? What's been your progression through your career? Well, I started at a very young age working in the company. I've done just about every job in the company. And uh, I got a degree in mechanical engineering, came to work after graduating with that degree and worked for four years running a uh, division of the company. And then I went off to um, get a degree at Columbia Business School. And that was sort of a turning point where I could have either come back to work for the company or go and work in finance and take a completely different path in my career. I decided to uh, commit myself to working in the company and uh, never looked back. And who can blame you? Now, Kristen, tell me about your journey. So uh, first of all, I'd like to know what RFID is for lay people. Tell me what you do and how you got to this position within the company. So RFID stands for Radio Frequency Identification um, Device. So essentially it's for, in the simplest of terms, it's for tracking and traceability of valuables. So in our case, uh, we're the sole supplier of Delta Airline luggage tags, which have RFID inside of the luggage tag. So it saves Delta millions upon millions of dollars tracking each bag as it goes through the airport and the various kiosks. So basically it protects passengers from losing their luggage and it protects the airlines from having to pay for that. Um, We also provide RFID tracking labels for everything from jewelry to medical cannabis to prescriptions. 
So we were also the first company in the world to provide item level tagging for pharmaceuticals. So it's a very interesting department to work for. And I actually, about 10 years ago, was running the department. And then I took a different turn for a little while. And I'm not running the department as of right now. I'm mainly in a business development capacity. So I work very closely with the department and try to bring in as much sales as possible, but also am heavily involved in what's happening on the floor shop. Oh, it's fantastic. So Kristen, you decided to go into the family business at a young age, did you? Uh, Actually, no. I had a different approach to joining the company. My experience was after college, I moved out to Hollywood and worked in the entertainment industry for a talent agency. So I worked out there for about four years and I had various jobs within the entertainment industry. And then I did come back to work for the company. Uh, I was running the RFID department. And so the rest is history. I've had a, a couple of different lives. I didn't go right into the company, but it's a pleasure to come back. And I definitely am, am here for the long haul. Oh, that's amazing. The umbilical cord of the family business pulled you back from Hollywood. To, to, yes. <laughs> to Florida and Connecticut. That is fantastic. Okay, a question for you, Bill, if I may. So you have a very grand title. You are the big boss, Bill. What does the average day kind of look like for you? What are your roles and responsibilities on a daily basis? Well, I get involved in a lot of different things. In any given day, I may be involved in running engineering meetings uh, because a lot of the services that we provide for our customers are innovative solutions. Uh, which will help save them money. I'm involved in marketing and sales decisions on a daily basis. And I spend a lot of time on the shop floor because we're a relatively flat organization uh, in structure and we, uh, we're a very hands-on company. So we work very closely with all the employees out, out on the floor as well. And how many employees do you have at the Connecticut and Florida plants, respectively? Uh, in the Connecticut plant, uh, we have about 60 or 70 employees. And in Florida, we have just under 50. Wow, quite a few moving parts to uh, to oversee, that's for sure. Now, Bill, I read something really interesting, what was interesting to me on your website, about the production of stamps and how there was absolutely no field rejections. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I found that fascinating. It may or may not be relevant, but uh, I found it interesting. Yes, the goal of every security printer is not to have any errors that get out of the company into the field. And we produced over 35 billion postage stamps in the Connecticut facility without a single field reject. We um, we approached the manufacturing of stamps in a completely different way. We started with the idea that if we could track the quality of a product as it moved through the manufacturing process real time and make accept reject decisions at the end of the process, that we would be able to produce a very, very high quality, a zero defect product at a lower cost. Historically, security printers had done the best that they could to minimize errors as they're going through the manufacturing process and then would have to sift through the um, finished product to try to cull out defective product. And as I said earlier, we developed a patented methodology using a local area network tied into all kinds of different sensing equipment in different points of the manufacturing process to accumulate a quality profile 
and then make very intelligent, informed, accept, reject decisions at the end of the process. We were on the cutting edge in terms of stamp manufacture, and it was very much appreciated by the uh, U.S. Postal Service. I can't imagine 35 billion without one being rejected is is quite a testament to you. Do you still make stamps? Do you still manufacture stamps for the post service? Uh, we have a contract as a subcontractor to a, a primary contractor to the postal service to print gravure stamps. The postal service buys little or no rotogravure stamps at this point in time, so it's a uh, it's a contract with no business at this point. Gotcha. That makes sense. Kristen, question for you then. Can you tell me a little bit about the management and employee culture, I guess, uh, both of your plants that you that you have. Sure. So basically, the most important aspect of our culture is, um, or I would just say, first and foremost, what's the most important is quality and safety for our employees. We want to make sure that our employees, most of a lot of our employees have been here for decades. So we want to make sure that they're happy and they too want to make sure that they're enjoying going to work every day. They take pride in providing a quality product in a safe environment. They also take pride in the fact that they're working for a company that's been around for so long. It's very much a family run business and it feels like a family environment when you're walking through the plant. Everybody knows each other. Um, everybody has the same goals in mind. We have very high quality standards when it comes to anything that leaves the plant and everybody has that ingrained in them and they appreciate it, but they also want to make sure that they're doing a good job. So it's a really nice place to work for not just family members, but also those outside of the family. Very much so. It comes across in a, a lot of the businesses that we have interviewed for Manufacture CT as a part of the Meet the Manufacturers podcast has been that heritage, if you like, that legacy of, of family-run businesses, but also employees who are like several generations of families have worked for the same company for many years. And I think for prospective young people looking for their future career, you know, manufacturing has never looked so exciting. And with that, goes hand in hand with technology, of course. Could you, I'm not sure who's the best place to talk about this, but can you tell me a little bit about the the equipment, machinery or technology that is used in order to manufacture your products? So I can start, but then this is very much a, a Bill Gunther question. Um, so basically one of one thing that is uh, sets us apart and makes us unique is the fact that a lot of our equipment is customized for our customers. So we have 14 US patents, so a lot of the equipment out back um, has been designed specially for a product to meet a customer's needs. And that's actually one thing that really makes this place special is people can come to us with things that they don't think is even possible to manufacture and we're able to do so with our engineering department here. And on that note, my grandfather was a chemical engineer. My father is a mechanical engineer. And so he's been heavily involved in retrofitting a lot of the equipment out back. So I'll let him talk to what's back there. But that's been really interesting to see. And, you know, in RFID alone, we have 10 RFID lines running. But I'll let my father go ahead and answer the remainder of the equipment. Well, we, we attempt always to use the, the appropriate manufacturing platform. And we're very, very careful to make sure that whatever equipment we have before we enter into the manufacturing process, we do extensive capability studies to make sure that the equipment is capable of operating to the standards that are required by our customers. We don't want our employees to in any way struggle with equipment. 
their job should be relatively easy. We try to provide a very organized set of standard operating protocols and we train people extensively and we provide them with equipment that will do the job. So if they follow the SOPs, the product should come out as intended. We, uh, as Kristen said, we have our own in-house engineering department where we design and fabricate proprietary equipment where that's desirable. In some cases, we'll buy equipment out in the open market and we'll customize it. So we will take whatever approach, whatever combination of customization and, and uh, off-the-shelf equipment that will best suit our customers' needs. It's very high-tech, and I love the fact that it is so bespoke, isn't it? You know, each client perhaps has a different set of needs. It's not a, an off-the-shelf kind of manufacturing enterprise. It's so unique. Talking about the current situation we find ourselves in with this pesky worldwide pandemic, uh, how has it affected your business? Has it affected it? You know, maybe your supply chain or, or contracts. Have you seen any differences or any effect on the business itself? Um, I, I can start on that point and then I'll let dad chime in. Early on, we started using safety protocols and put into place various protocols to make sure that we were not um, exposing anyone to germs and that people were, you know, keeping their distance, that everything was, you know, immaculate and people were wearing masks and gloves. So that helped with keeping, knock on wood, keeping our facility um, as safe as possible. And then, you know, if you look at what has changed, the aviation and airline business, the travel business has reduced since COVID started. And so since we were doing luggage tags, RFID luggage tags, that business was slightly reduced. But on the flip side of that, some of our other customers, actually that business increased. So luckily during a pandemic, people still consume alcohol. <laughs> And um, in some cases, that increased um, <laughs> the, uh, the, um, the cigar industry and tobacco industry that increased as well as did the medical cannabis field. And one specific area where our business has um, increased and has been interesting, especially for me in RFID, is within healthcare. There's been more of a need for anti-counterfeit and traceability measures to make sure that whether it's vaccines or tests or you know, expensive equipment, things to do with the pandemic itself, that that's tracked through using our RFID labels or using, you know, various security measures that we can add to the packaging. And so that's increased with, uh, with the pandemic, which is, you know, it's been positive for our business. So in the beginning of the uh, pandemic, airline travel went to almost zero. It was, it was operating at about 5% of the normal rate. And there was an enormous amount of inventory in the supply chain. We went for many months without shipping anything to the airline industry. Uh, fortunately, that's, that's begun to recover. But as Kristen has indicated, we've found some other very significant opportunities for growth and, and have been involved in various aspects in trying to help out. We've actually produced shields for PPE. We've produced RFID labels for tracking of COVID tests and uh, a variety of other interesting opportunities have presented themselves. In terms of the supply chain, we've found that uh, we're facing extended lead times, shortages in, in some areas. And so it has been somewhat of a challenge in terms of the supply chain. It's required better planning, good coordination with our uh, 
customer base so that we can order things far in advance and ensure that we'll have a continued flow of materials coming in. But dealing with the supply chain in the pandemic has been uh, challenging. Yeah, it's something we hear quite a lot of. Okay, different question for you, Bill, if I may. What advice might you give to somebody who is looking to explore a career in manufacturing? Or in fact, why should somebody look to explore a career in manufacturing? Are there any skills or attributes or training schools? You know, when a resume hits your desk, what are you looking for as the president and CEO of such a a large and long-standing company? Well, first, why should somebody be interested in entering manufacturing? I think the answer to that is that it's tremendously rewarding to manufacture real goods that you see out in the marketplace that are indispensable for daily life. I think that that's a very rewarding aspect of manufacturing because there's actually a real product that you can see. I think in terms of choices that one would want to make in terms of entering manufacturing, I think you'd be selective in terms of the kind of company that you'd want to work for. It would be important to choose a company that has a strong orientation toward quality and continual improvement because a lot of the joy in manufacturing comes about through innovation and looking to continually improve the process and and the quality of the product that you're manufacturing. In terms of the uh, training, uh, my training was in um, engineering and that's a very, very useful training for manufacturing. But there are so many different kinds of jobs that are required in manufacturing, staff and otherwise, that uh, a variety of skills will be necessary you know, in any manufacturing process. Very much so. Do you have anything to add on that one, Kristen? Yes. So I've said this before on other interviews or podcasts, but I think the beauty of manufacturing is that there is a role in the industry for anyone. So regardless of your background or your training, joining manufacturing, it's an exciting industry to work in. And as I said, you know, I worked in Hollywood. I worked in um, various different industries that were very fast paced, but not at all really related to manufacturing. So I utilized the skills that I gained from those industries and brought it to manufacturing and found those very useful to have. But I think, you know, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses and every Everybody has things that they can bring to the manufacturing industry. Just a matter of finding, you know, what area makes the most sense. For me, I always look for someone that's able to multitask and be efficient and also think outside the box. So not just the option in front of them, but also sort of be creative and come up with various ways to solve either a problem or a question. So if a customer comes to us with something that seems completely impossible to make, we need people that have that sort of out of box or creative thinking so that they can be a part of coming up with solutions and ideas to meet the customer's needs. And the efficiency, obviously, in manufacturing, the efficiency and being able to multitask, especially at a, you know, as at a smaller, medium sized company, you need to really be able to be on your toes manufacturing, similar to various other industries, you need to be able to adjust. And as Jad said, you know, he's often needed on the floor or he doesn't know what his day is going to bring when he comes in. Oftentimes he could have meetings on the books, but then have to reschedule them because something's come up on the floor. There's so much exciting about every day that when you walk in, you really don't know what the day is going to bring. So it's a really exciting industry to be a part of. And as my dad was saying, as far as working for the right company, 
yes, quality 100% and safety. But I would also say if you're going to join a family business, just make sure that you do your due diligence and understand what the relationships look like between those family members at the company and just make sure that it feels like a comfortable and safe space, you know, emotionally as well for you to go into. Very much so. And I think that's something that perhaps is overlooked. You know, people are looking for large companies, they're looking for good working conditions and obviously to be recompensed appropriately but actually you're right the environment is so so important and one of the things that we've kind of debunked I guess through this series of podcasts that we've been doing for Manufacture CT is some of the myths about manufacturing uh, particularly here in Connecticut and are there any myths that you would like to debunk right here right now uh, maybe about working conditions or just the environment I know a lot of high-tech manufacturing companies operate in Connecticut and they're desperate for people to know that they're not these smoky factories that their great-grandparents perhaps used to work in that were very unsafe. Is there anything you'd like to add in regards to that? Well, I think first there is sort of a myth that the manufacturing industry is mainly a male field to work in and and that females don't really excel or work in this industry. And I have found that to be completely fictional. Um, I know a lot of really powerful female leaders in the manufacturing industry, and that's only going stronger and stronger each day. But also, you know, I think from my experience, if you don't grow up in this environment, I don't know, you go into it thinking, you know, the myth being that it's a, a dirty or scary place to walk out onto the shop floor, that it's not for women, um, or it's not for, you know, the faint of heart, but it's more exciting than it is intimidating or scary. It's not, um, as you said, it's not not what people can picture from various old movies or from where your grandparents were working. And as I said before, I think the other myth is that people think if they have not worked in manufacturing, they cannot work in manufacturing. And I have not found that to be the case. If anything, I think it's exciting and a great idea to welcome and invite people who are outside of the industry to come in with a new set of eyes and a new set of experiences and be able to help contribute to the conversation so that manufacturing continues to evolve and go forward in the future. And I think in Connecticut alone, just from being a part of Manufacturer CT within the last year or so, manufacturing has really become sort of a, almost a family in itself. You can feel somewhat isolated when you're, you know, off at your plant, but if you're a part of an organization or some sort of a a group of manufacturers like Manufacturer CT, you feel less isolated and you feel more as if there's a community and there's a, a very large manufacturing community in Connecticut and growing all the time and you're right I like the idea of of people I guess having had different life experiences and work experiences and moving into manufacturing with that fresh set of eyes that's a really nice nice way of looking at it a question for you then Kristen on a personal level what three people or figures have had the most impact on your life or your career and this is coming your way next Bill so get ready So I would say 100% JR, who was my grandfather and my father's father. JR and Tita, his wife, uh, they've since passed, but JR was running the Florida plant up until he was 92 years old. Um, he was, wow. yeah, <laughs> Goodness he me. was dedicated. I mean, he was really dedicated. He couldn't imagine doing anything else. Um, not only that, but he really cared about the employees. He cared about everything that was going out the door, but he also really cared about the longevity of the relationships that we have with our customers. A lot of these customers, it's, you know, we've we've been some of the sole supplier for these customers for over decades. And 
So I think there was something really special about JR and Tita as they used to walk through the plant, you know, in their, in Tita's case, late 80s, but in JR's case, early 90s, I used to walk around after they had passed and some of the operators, the press operators would have pictures of JR and Tita up on their tables outside of where they were printing. And um, so they clearly made an impact on others, but also on me as well. There's things about JR that are, are different than other people in that he was a really hard worker. He had a very good business mind, a very good engineering mind, and he was very focused, determined, and sometimes could be quite tough. But there was a flip side to him, which was he was very charismatic. He was very engaging, very empathetic, and he could turn it on when he needed to and tell these just amazing stories that you were so engaged in. Um, so he really brought people in, but I think Tito was his balance. And so that was, that was special to gain a relationship with the two of them. And you asked for three, so I'll give you the third. The third would be my father. Um, <laughs> He's in the next room. Since we can't share a room right now, um, he's in the next room. But um, I think from my father, his influence on me has been just invaluable, not only business-wise, but also, you know, if I'm facing a problem in my personal life or anything outside of work, I try to think about, you know, what would Bill do in this situation because he has such a logical and rational mind. He's able to step away from things, stay calm and look at them from an outside perspective and then handle them. He really knows how to stay level-headed or even keeled, even whether it's on a you know, a race across an ocean or whether it's inside the plant. And I admire that. And also his ability to find a balance between normal life and work. He has both. And so all of those things. And he's also a very kind father to his loving daughter and son. So... <laughs> oh, Bill, how big is your head at the moment? There's some compliments. Uh, Bill, what about yourself? Three most influential people, or it could be family members, it could be famous people who have had an impact on your life. Well, the two that come immediately to mind uh, would be, as Kristen said, would be uh, my parents, my mother and father, uh, both on a personal level, but also on a on a professional level. My father was a very unique individual, as Kristen indicated. But I think what was very very notable about him, and you can see this with almost anybody that he dealt with. He would empower people to encourage people to uh, try things, to take chances. And you always had the sense that he believed in you. And that was an enormous benefit to just about anybody that, uh, that he would work with because uh, people were able to rise above uh, maybe even what they believed they themselves could do. Because if JR thought he could, that you could do something, that maybe you could do it. And I remember when I became president of the company back in 1986, my father said, your mother and I are going to move to Puerto Rico. Uh, we're going to be thousands of miles away. But, you know, if you need us, there are always airplanes. But um, <laughs> have um, an enormous amount of confidence in your ability to, um, to do the job. My mother was an amazing woman, as strong and powerful as my father was. My mother was kind of the wind beneath his wings. She was uh, involved in every important business decision that he was involved in. And uh, she actually, early on in, the, in their careers in the business, she actually was the person that did a lot of the negotiations 
uh, when buying buildings or dealing with various people. She was a person who, from appearances, you wouldn't necessarily think that she would be a good negotiator, but she was. And uh, she was uh, she was a great counsel to uh, to my father, but also uh, very, very supportive of, of her children uh, in every way. So it was a wonderful environment. So there are two. Well, and actually, let me just add on to JR and Tia slightly, is that another piece of their life was adventure. And so every Saturday morning, they would wake up with, uh, well, I shouldn't say Saturday, I should say Sunday, because Saturday, they'd be at the plant most times, but they would wake up and they'd want to have some big adventure together. They both got their pilot's licenses. They both had their captain's licenses. Um, They really had this incredible relationship with each other, but they constantly pushed each other. And the cool part about Tita is, yes, she was this powerhouse woman in the office, but she also was kind of like, I don't know, mean to a little this but sort of like the den mother of all of the operators in the plant she was sort of like the mother of all of them as well as being this great business mind so she really knew how to balance those two parts of herself out which was really nice they sound absolutely fascinating and it kind of leads me on to the next question in a way what do you guys like to do when you're not working what do you do to relax and unwind you talked about that work-life balance which is something i've really struggled with since moving uh, to the us the work ethic and mentality here is like nothing i've ever experienced how do you get that balance and what do you like to do in your free time well i love to do anything in the outdoors and i particularly like sailing and sailboat racing I've done a great deal of offshore sailing in the ocean several newport to bermuda races Uh, various other trips on boats. Newport Bermuda races like 635 nautical miles uh, through the Gulf Stream. Particularly enjoy doing that sort of thing because it's a challenge and it requires a lot of forethought, preparation. And when you leave the dock, you're on your own. Uh, You have whatever the resources and the team that that you put together before you left the dock. If you have an emergency halfway to Bermuda, you're out of range of helicopters or whatever. You basically are in your own little microcosm. And so that sort of thing is a wonderful opportunity to to push yourself and meet a challenge in a way that you just can't do sitting behind a desk. And so uh, that kind of sense of adventure, I really enjoy. Wow, I bet. And also there's so many parallels there with your working environment in a way, you know, getting the right people in the right place, producing something to the highest quality, ensuring that you have all of your supplies. There's some similarities there, which is fascinating. What about you, Kristen? What do you do to unwind and relax? So believe it or not, the pandemic for me has actually increased my interest in woodworking. So I've been building everything from furniture to sheds, to roofs, to um, just different solutions around. I had bought a house before the pandemic hit. So different things around the house I've been building and working on, which in the beginning I was, I admit I was horrible at, and I took apart most of what I built, if not all of what I built, but I've now found my rhythm and things are actually coming out okay. (laughs) That and, um, and also I had never gardened or done yard work or just completely transformed a property before. And I did that during the pandemic. And those two things have been really um, amazing. I guess, like as dad said earlier about manufacturing, you like to see something that comes out on the other end that you've produced. 
well, I like to see that I've produced these amazing woodworking projects or this gorgeous garden or yard. But then I also like to play sports and go skiing and boating. And the dog should get a shout out. Tucker and I also like to hike <laughs> and uh, be outdoors at all times. So uh, You're preaching to the choir. I am a, I'm a dog owner myself, or rather he owns me. So uh, I totally <laughs> identify with that. We currently at the plant have two dogs lying underneath my feet in the conference room. So dad's dog and mine. <laughs> I think all offices should have a dog at all times. I used to work in radio in the UK and my puppy grew up in radio studios and he learned when the red light went on, which said on air, he knew he had to stay still and not run after his ball or his toy or anything. And uh, he so quick to learn. He was the studio dog for, for many years. That's <laughs> Last couple of questions for you then. I'm going to start with you, Bill, if I may. What would you say has been your biggest success or the thing that you are most proud of throughout your career? I think I'm, I'm most proud of the, uh, the different kinds of challenges that we've overcome as a company. We talked earlier about the success of manufacturing 35 billion poster stamps without a single reject. That was unique. We were the only company in, in the world that I know of that accomplished that. Kristen also mentioned some of the first that we had in RFID. Uh, it was a completely new technology to us back in 2003, and we embraced it. And we took a zero defect approach toward manufacture in RFID back at a time when 20% of the RFID inlays that we would buy were defective and we had to produce a 100% reliable product. Those kinds of manufacturing successes are the things I think that, uh, that I'm most proud. I would have to say that I'm extremely proud also of the employees of our company, because as you can imagine, through the decades, our company has faced various different kinds of challenges, some of them minor, some of them uh, serious, but we've always been able to come together as a team, and uh, and it's been remarkable what our employees have been able to accomplish. Their dedication in the um, in the face of adversity, and it just is something that I'm very very proud of to to be able to lead a group of people who are so committed to doing the right thing. It sounds like you've got a steady hand at the helm, Bill. To be honest, Kristen, what about your good self? What's your biggest success or the thing you're most proud of, other than building a shed? <laughs> Um, well, one area that I didn't tell you that when I said I had multiple lives or multiple jobs after Hollywood, I did teach for a while. And I would say one area that I look back on with a smile was teaching for a while. And I, I liked that I kind of brought the kids out of their comfort zone and challenged them in, in ways that I didn't think was possible for me as a teacher, but also for kids that young. But I would say overall, my biggest thing that I'm proud of is coming back to the company. I had had a uh, manager in the company who I had worked with a long time ago when I was working here. And he came to me and said, you know, that he thought that I should come back. And I had been thinking about it for a long time, but we talked it through. And it was one of those things where I think employees really like to know that there is a future for the company, that the company is not going anywhere and that the company that they've relied on for, you know, we keep saying 140 plus years, that there is a next generation taking over and there's comfort in that. And so I would say that I feel very proud to come back and to represent the company and to bring it to the next generation and 
to give some sort of a comfort to the employees here that we're going to continue and that, you know, for legacies, hopefully for generations and legacies to come. Very much so. It's an incredible feat to any business to be in business as long as, as yours has. 145 years, I think, is, is quite incredible. And uh, yes, the next generation. Do you have any predictions, Kristen, about the future of manufacturing uh, that could be just here in Connecticut or more generally the future of manufacturing, how you see things at the moment? I think um, sustainability and green initiatives are continuing to to grow and be a hot topic. I don't think that's going anywhere. I think there's going to continue to be innovations in sustainability, whether companies are willing to accept it or not, especially in manufacturing, because it's difficult to accept um, a lot of these initiatives as a manufacturer. I think there's going to be a big push and laws are, are going to continue to be passed. And it's a, I think it's sustainability is going to, going to continue to be a topic that comes out of our mouths. Also, digital Things are just going to continue to go more digital. I think and adding on digital, that's definitely something that's going to happen. And then I think um, because there seems to be a movement towards this manufacturer CT, it does seem like there's a sort of a excitement involved around manufacturing in Connecticut. It may be that I'm just very heavily involved in manufacturer CT, but I think that uh, Connecticut is going to continue to grow and expand in manufacturing. And I do think that everything that they've done as far as getting the community together, it's only going to get stronger and bigger and become more of a, a movement and a industry here. So that's exciting to see, I think, as well. I think you're right. I think there is a real buzz towards it. And as an industry, you know, Connecticut has such a rich history that it does feel like we're on a bit of a train at the moment. Bill, what about yeah. you? Any last thoughts on the future of manufacturing, doing business in the state of Connecticut? What does the future hold? Well, I think that those companies, those industries that have remained in Connecticut are those kinds of industries which will thrive in the future. We as a company think of our employee base and their skill set as being a tremendous resource of the company, probably our most valuable resource. We could have relocated many times uh, in the past, but it's the, the skill set and the, the caliber of the labor force in Connecticut is such that it's a compelling argument to continue to grow. And so I'm, I'm optimistic about manufacturing in Connecticut principally because of the uh, of the quality of the labor force. Yep, very much so. Bill, Kristen, it's been an absolute privilege speaking to you today and learning a little more about the company. It's absolutely fascinating. How can people get in touch with you guys if they want to carry on the conversation? Is there a website or social media where they can contact you? It's been a pleasure for us as well. Definitely, Claire. So thank you for inviting us on. We can be reached on either social media or LinkedIn, or I would say you can just email either one of us. I'm kgunther at georgeschmidt.com. And then there is a website, georgeschmidt.com. And we recommend that people check out the website or just email me or my father's wgunther at georgeschmidt.com. We're happy to have a conversation and discuss what your needs are and see how we can help. Amazing. Bill, Kristen, it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much for your time and joining us on Meet the Manufacturers. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of Meet the Manufacturers, brought to you by Manufacture CT. If you would like to find out more about Manufacture CT, 
or you would like to join the organisation, you can visit the website manufacturect.org. This podcast is sponsored by Cone Resnick, one of the largest accounting, tax and business advisory companies in the United States. Visit their website for more details, coneresnick.com. Cone Resnick. Advisory. Assurance. Tax.